Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Formula One on RS1. On RS1. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everybody and welcome along to a special programme here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels as we look at the 2020 FIA Formula One World Championship. Wait, I hear you ask from around the world, didn't Sam Collins, Nick Damon and Tim Gray do that already sometime in another century it feels like now? Well you'd be right because before the scheduled start of the 2020 season that I mean almighty triumvirate frankly did get together to discuss the Formula One season since then uh, things have changed rather so we thought it would be a good idea uh, to get together uh, with the first race uh, heading towards us at breakneck speed first couple of races actually from Austria uh, starting this weekend so uh, Formula One would not be Formula One without Nick Damon Good evening, John. Oh, I was uh, I was expecting. Oh, Nate, you, you, you interest me, not Formula One. You see. Okay. Uh, and uh, Sam Collins not available. Um, and besides which, there's very little change in technical wise. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk about the, the changes and the sporting regulations, of course, as part of this. Uh, we brought in to put a historical, an historical perspective on it. Uh, none other than Joe Bradley. Yes, much more improved Joe Bradley on Sam Collins. Uh, well, yes. Uh, and uh, so, f- it's Formula One. Hooray! There you go. That, that'll keep everybody happy. Before uh, we even get into the teams, um, we should talk about the calendar as it stands at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think quite a lot of the things we're going to talk about, it, um, they will have an asterisk next to them, next to them Nick, that says, um, subject to um, overarching... Things. Uh, things, yes, yes. Uh, circumstances. As it stands at the moment, I think we have eight races, do we? We have eight races, absolutely nailed on, guaranteed, if anything can be in the current situation, yes. And that starts this weekend, of course, in Austria, with so the Austrian GP. Followed in Austria at the Red Bull Ring, Ring by the... Styrian Grand Prix. And then? It's the Hungarian Grand Prix in the Hungaro Ring, so yeah. just, just for once. And a whole week off then. Yeah. And then we come back to... The so new... the first three back-to-back-to-back? Back-to-back-to-back. Right. Then you've got the British Grand Prix on the, uh, the over the beginning of August weekend. Yeah. Then the following week, you have, you're back at Silverstone for the second time for the 70th Anniversary GP. Not right. sure about that one. I think we said the Grumpy of Wales would be much better. I think um, we should have had the two Shires. <laughs> it's, that would have um, sounded much better. And then again, the following week again, so another back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back, we're going to Spain, to Barcelona, for the uh, Catalonian Grand Prix. It's not a Spanish Grand Prix, it's not a Catalonian Grand Prix, just a single one. Then we have, um, currently, a uh, two-week break before we go to um, Belgium at Spa, and then the following week to Italy at Monza, which I think actually are keeping their original dates, aren't they, from, from all that time ago so that is the first eight races and that is all we have absolutely guaranteed for now however it would be remiss of us not to talk about what is potentially out there Mugello from being a rank outsider has has come up on the rails 
to keep the horse racing uh, analogy going. And he's now looking more and more certain, I think, to get uh, a Grand Prix. Formula One cars at, at Michelle Ocho, Bradley. <laughs> Do I need to say anything else? No, you don't. <laughs> you, you, you absolutely. We've been there. We've seen sports cars there. Nick and I have watched motorcycling there, although not in person. Um, it, it's mouthwatering. It's mouth-watering. Scarily fast. Scarily fast. It's going to be another one of those tracks that's going to have fantastic qualifying. Don't know how good it would be to race on that track. uh, I've seen some on board from James Collado driving an 09 car in current livery. Um, The narrow track car, with that was the treaded tyres car, wasn't it, back in 09? Was that, was that, or was that just still a narrow track? No, 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 was just narrow track. Narrow track, yeah. It did look very, very narrow. 2.4 V6. 128, he was doing uh, round there. In that. Good point from you, Nick. Though the, the, it's a very flowing track, and there isn't any real sort of heavy braking, slow and speed. The very long main straight is after a very fast, yep. 90, 180 degree corner. That's which probably is, the which only. You, but you can't follow. They won't be able to follow up around that, that final corner. True. So the, 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 the current regulations do not work with that track design. And DRS, the end, DRS is going to help. Possibly. But Down you, the main street. You're going to need a Huge. big if you, big advantage. If, if, if they go there, you know, my guess is it's going to be really tough. Probably easier it's in Hungary. An, an awful lot of third and fourth gear corners. Those chicanes up on the top of the hill in the early part of the lap, you think, I, it's going to have to slow down for that. Uh, no, no, not at all. They're, they're, I, I wouldn't even call them chicanes. They're more of an S-bend. They are. They're in a, form, kind in of a current form of one car. They yeah, are, yes. yeah. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's been out there as well. Yep, in a and, car, apparently. and Charles went as well. They had half a day each. All right, with a um, two-year-old car with a 2018 machine, uh, getting used to the uh, more the procedures of running in a sort of COVID bubble than actually rate, learning to race or get back in fitness again because all these guys have um, have kept their fitness. Uh, so that's Nick Damon. Joe Bradley is here as well. What has changed then uh, in terms uh, of the differences since you, Sam, and? Uh, and uh, Tim talked about it at the start of the year. Technically? Well, as the cars hit the track, nothing actually will have changed very much as far as the cars... Regu- well, nothing will change regulation-wise. They're the same as went through scrutineering but didn't start in Australia. However, of course, everything has changed in the interim. Just to highlight a few of, of what's happening, what they thought was going to be 22 races with these cars is now going to be another season as well. It's effectively a, a 95% freeze on the cars, so they're running them into 2021. We all thought we were going to get big new regulations in 2021. They're now in 2022. So the shorter season then, Nick, does that mean that the engine regs have changed in terms of how many engines they get for the year? Um, it is eight races per engine. So, as it stands at the moment, they'll have to do it on one engine. They'll have to do it on one. Now, there is, an, there is obviously a, I assume, and this is about wow. to be a test, if someone goes ping, say race two, my assumption is they'll be able to take a second engine without penalty because there is an assumption that we will do more than eight races because we're all pretty certain we're going off to the Middle East at the end of the season. So, it's likely there's going to be um, two, a two of everything rather than one of everything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's up in the air a little bit. But of course, the, the other thing that has happened is in between the cars being scrutineered but not starting, it meant that no one took up any of their allocations because because FP1 didn't begin, nothing happened. That's scrubbed. So the cars you scrutineered, the engines you scrutineered, don't matter. They're, in fact, they will all be in the bin. Mm. 
they've all been chucked and they've all got new engines most of which will either be a uh, upgraded spec or possibly you know I know Mercedes was suffering a little bit with reliability that was being sorted out so they're all going to have slightly different engines yeah there's big oh Honda going to have a brand new spec yeah well that's fine it's, it's a few horsepower here a few horsepower there and reliability so they're all going to be pretty much um, have a maximised uh, spec one engine there will also be on most of the cars um, a level of upgrades. Now, whilst we're obviously the cars, the teams were under um, effective, you know, stop or furlough, if maybe they weren't allowed to work for us, it, it ended up being six weeks in the end. It was a very yeah. long time. All the developments they were doing through um, end of January, February, and March, which weren't ever going to be on the cars that were tested at Barcelona, which may have been going to uh, Barcelona, sorry, to um, uh, um, Adelaide. That's about twenty years. May have been going to Melbourne, or then later being Vietnam or Barcelona. They've all, but they were all carried on working on. There was a pause, and they've carried on working on them. So there's a good chance that I think Red Bull said they were going to have. All the but all the upgrades they planned as far as Barcelona originally, and Barcelona originally was going to be the second or third week of May. Um, Mercedes are also going to put all their first four races of upgrades on as well. Ferrari, so they're doing nothing. Ferrari have said, and it's a bit difficult because they can say things. They're going to send the car out as it was in testing because they need to do correlation issues. They think they've got things wrong, so they're trying to recorrelate the base car. Not the first time they've had issues of that type, although it was. Uh it was aero issues that they had with their. No, no, they've, they've got. They, they don't. They're not happy with with the car doing what it's supposed to do. So they've they've gone back to basically they're recorrelating. They said they they are going to have a raft of upgrades, but they're not going to come to Hungary, which is round three. So right. okay. you know, it's it's against pinch of sort. Who knows what actually people are doing on that front when they're because Fry on a massive downplay again. Uh, we'll talk about the individual teams as we always do in a moment, but let's talk about uh, some of the talking points. Obviously, there are going to be new working re- restrictions, limits on personnel, no hospitality units. The paddock's not going to look the same. Uh, everybody's being tested, of course. The grid ceremonies, the podium ceremonies, all the interviews, that's all going to be very different. And, and Joe, you've already seen as we have what happened with Kreventnik down at uh, Portimao, another place that could potentially uh, be holding a couple of Grand Prix in uh, October. It can be done, is the answer to it. It can be done without really disrupting the events of and the mechanics of racing, pun intended. Uh, it can be done without disrupting that too badly. We saw it at Portimao, we saw it at Texas for the first IndyCar race. And not even the TV interviews were put off. We, we saw a big boom arm with a microphone on it instead of and uh, and uh, and noise uh, a microphone uh, for the driver to speak into. We saw use of face masks. We saw the distancing relatively from the crew. I mean, you know, sometimes jobs on cars do cause the need for mechanics to work in close proximity to one another but like you've just said you've kind of you're sterilizing each team into their own bubble and each team member have been tested and you know that that bubble is contamination free as long as we don't mix the bubbles then we should be fine it's like it's like you know going to the supermarket and keeping your two meters uh, for everybody uh, in society at the moment and it can be done and it will be done because that's what we do and we will make it work and we will make it happen I think it's going to be a very strange feel in the paddock it's probably going to the teams are probably going to feel like they can do their job a lot 
better because it's easy to get around, easy to get in on the morning, easy to leave for the hotel. Um, I don't know what it's going to feel like from an atmosphere point of view. I certainly can't get away with watching football without a crowd. I'm not sure. We've said before, though, Nick, haven't we, that of all the sports, um, motor racing, and in some ways Formula One being so exclusive, it is, you know, it is probably even at a level above any other type of motorsport that the fans don't actually contribute to the television product at all. How the drivers and the teams will feel, that might be different. But I think Joe makes a, a good point there about just getting work done in the paddock. It's going to be a damn sight easier to move around. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the idea is, is that they will all be in little bubbles. So you have the McLaren bubble, the Ferrari bubble, and, and very few people will cross bubbles. I think they're actually going to not have people crossing bubbles. They won't have the Ferrari engine engineer who works who working for Alpha. He will, uh, he will actually be liaising with the Ferrari, Ferrari engineer by a video conference, even though they're only, you know, 60 metres away. I think... Who's going to have the best bubble? Because well, obviously it'll be competitive. Uh, they will be standardised bubbles, of course, but they're all getting the same tents. Spec bubbles? Spec. Well, I suppose tents is probably going to be a lovely marquee, isn't it? Uh, 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 some kind of easy up. So they're not using garages? No, for the back. So they aren't having motorhomes. No one's having their motorhomes. In, oh, right, right, okay. So, so the garage, so obviously, yes, it's, it's, the, it's the... Teams with the, with the awning out the back of the attachments to the yeah, back they'll have, of the they'll have the trucks, but it, for the hospitality, the meetings... All right, yeah, all right, uh, I see what you normally mean, the be in the motorhomes yeah, are actually yeah. around the back. Calling those things in Formula One motorhomes is a, a bit like calling uh, Buckingham Palace a pied a terre in it's London. They're isn't edifices, it? aren't they? And they got no, bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, talking about the sound, the sounds, the uh, soundscape. I think the thing you have to remember: of, of all sports, the only sport that brings its sound effects with it is motorsport. Yeah, that's a good point. It doesn't need the crowd. Um, and in fact, mostly, I'm quite pleased, actually, because it means that we won't see pointless cloud shots from uh, FOM when they should be showing the action, which no, always annoys me. Bit much more pictures of people in masks in the uh, in the garages. Let's go through the teams, as we are wont to do on this uh, reboot of the Formula One, the FIA Formula One Championship for 2020. Williams Mercedes uh, finished 10th uh, last year, so we'll start at the bottom uh, as ever. And... Uh, there have been some changes uh, at Williams, uh, Nick, uh, not least in how the team has been structured and going forward. They've uh, lost, parted ways with, kicked out, depending on which way you look at it, a sponsor. Uh, and therefore, things will look a little different, at least. Yeah, they've lost Rocket Phones. Um, I mean, I don't know why, because other people who work at Rocket Phones say that they are paying their bills. So the normal reason for sponsor disappearance is not paying your bills. Um, they've just released a new, much more white livery with um, a couple of more prominent sponsors who, I just can't remember who they are. They, they weren't household names and you've no idea how the cash to square inch of advert works on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, they've they've done that. They've, they've had a very busy financial time. They've been lending money, losing money, borrowing money, setting bits of the organisation, answering questions to... Um, various uh you know financial organizations and they've really the only, the only positive they had out of the whole thing is that is that george russell has evolved as the star of the uh, f1 esports community surprising kind of eclipsing the the names we thought would be there and and charles leclerc and he's the one who's, who's won the most surprising do you think that hasn't surprised me at all. I think George Russell is the next Lewis Hamilton of, 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 every, of anyone in that paddock. I think the next generation, I think, is going to be Leclerc and uh, and George Russell. I, I really do rate him. I always have. Um, as far as Williams is concerned, Joe, we, we, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but you know, it, it is sad to see the the fall from grace and the steady drop of, of Williams. Um, such a, a big part of my 
growing up with Formula One, a proper old-fashioned privateer Formula One team, if you go back through the years when Sir Frank, you know, put it all all together, and they're having to sell off the family silver in terms of some of their museum pieces. It's it's a it's a sad sight to see them in. But the link with Mercedes, which has been con, con, uh, confirmed as, as continuing on, that gives them an opportunity performance wise. But they, they still don't seem in, in great fettle. I, it it is a it is a real massive crying shame. I mean Williams was a massive for it was a Formula One giant, wasn't it? You know, and, and I was there in the days when Williams was a back didn't have two hippies to scrape together and then along came the Saudi money and then along came, you know, the, 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 the funding that the team and Frank and Patrick had, you know, put that team together and designed the car and became a front runner. They've had many collaborations with uh, quite a few manufacturers over the course of their history, Renault, Honda and they've won world championships. Um, I would like to think that a collaboration with Mercedes in the same way, I know we're going to talk about Racing Point, as perhaps this, I would love to see Williams getting to the level of Racing Point. My, the problem that I perhaps have with a manufacturer that's competing as, a, as itself and then collaborating with teams down the grid, are you really going to get the equipment to beat are they really going to give the equipment to beat itself? I'm not sure about that. Customer teams really, versus yeah, work teams. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that's ever going to be the case in Racing Point and hopefully Williams will start to become competitive once again. We can say the same, Nick Damon, about Haas Ferrari. Uh, they finished uh, ninth. Uh, the stark truth for Haas is as the only American based team or American flagged team on the grid that they have never been able to attract any funding from the US. That's exactly the same as it has been when we've talked about them in the past. As we go into this weird season of, of 2020, where where do Haas Ferrari stand? Um, I get the idea that the Haas team are just getting their head down really. I think there's, there's a lot of rumours about the commitment overall from uh, Gene, and, uh, who is now totally financing the team again, following the uh, um, ill-fated, shall we say, um, uh, energy drink experience he had. Um, and they've said as much. I think Gunter said as much. They're just going to see what's happening. Yeah, they, they are the forefront of those who are going, yes, hurrah for a cost cap. And it appears that they are you know, just hunk- hunkering down, see what they've got, and then develop from there. Uh, you mentioned the cost cap there. Um, one of the other things that's happened in this time uh, that everything slowed down is I think that pretty much everybody's realised that big money coming from manufacturers is not going to be as big or as, as plentiful. And the, the cost cap is, is something that has been addressed, Nick. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's come down. The cost cap was always coming in for next year. All the FIA always wanted to get it in for next year. And now it's coming in, it's, what is it, 15 million, I can't remember, 15 million less dollars than it's going to be with a, with a um, reducing amount over following years. So it has very much forced the hand of the naysayers, um, which were mainly Ferrari in fairness, um, to say, okay, look, no, we, we can't carry on spending cubic dollars. And, and I mean, in fairness, I think both Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull, so Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull were all relatively au fait with the concept of a cost cap if they could just get it wangled in their direction. Um, Ferrari and Mercedes particularly, though, were, were concerned about redundancies, redundancies which, which looked bad. So Ferrari were already saying about redeploying people to other racing programmes. Mercedes are saying they're going to try and get, you know, try and do the same thing and also try and, you know, have a natural wastage policy to lose some people to make the cost cap. So... You know, it's always, everything's a double-edged sword. But overall, theoretically, it should work well. 
Alfa Romeo, another Ferrari team. Joe, they were eighth uh, last year. I was very excited to see Alfa Romeo back. And I know Nick was uh, as well. They've got strong history uh, in the sport. Not bad year for them uh, last year. And they go into this new season um, with the same points as everybody else. What does it look like from, from your point of view for Alfa Racing Ferrari? Nice Sauber, of course. I mean, the name Alfa Romeo, they're at the very forefront of the Formula One World Championship. And through down through the ages, it, it's a name that should be on a Formula One grid. I'm not so sure, though, because if you peel back the sticker that says Alfa Romeo, it still says Sauber under there. <laughs> it still says underfunded Sauber, if anything. And, uh, you know, they're a team that have bring out the odd result and, and have a good run and then however I think fundamentally the problem with that is just a lack of funding to be to be as competitive as perhaps they know how to be. We've often seen Nick down through the years that Sauber the old Sauber team started well but then didn't have the development budget will that change uh, this year is there the opp- opportunity for them to, to get that good start and how much of their performance and their uh, finishing position in this year's championships table depends on which Kimi Raikkonen turns up. Um, well, I think development's an interesting one because because we now have pretty solid rules across next year. Um, there is a small amount of movement. We'll be taking most of the car across into next season. It obviously pays. You know, paying up front is is a good idea because obviously the developments you improve for race three this season are still working for race twenty two next season. If you wait for a year to put them in, you haven't got the benefit. So, um, my guess is that there will be some front end development this year, and, and, and next year it may well be they don't bother and they just develop the car for the following season. But I think Alfa Romeo have got an issue, and their issue is their driver lineup. It's it's stunningly uninspiring. Antonio Giovinazzi is by far, um, well, with the exception of Nicholas Latifi, he's by far the least impressive driver on the grid and Latifi might be okay, we don't know. So they've got the worst driver on the grid and they've got the most disinterested driver on the grid or sometimes not. Yeah. So, you know, that's the issue, isn't it, really? <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm a, um, a Raikkonen fan. I, I like Kimi. I like what he brings uh, to the paddock. I know that he can be a bit, or appear to be a bit sullen at times. Um, but when you get him, on his metal behind the wheel. I, I love watching him drive. And I, I just wish we'd seen that more down through uh, the years. Uh, let's move up to Racing Point BWT uh, Mercedes, as they were called at the end of last year. No, still called that. Right, OK. Changing uh, next year. This is uh, Lawrence Stroll's team, of course. Uh, and this will become Aston Martin F1 uh, next year, um, which leaves some questions to be asked at the end of this season about which drivers go where and how that is going to work, particularly with Aston Martin winding back in on uh, pretty much all of their other uh, motorsport and even affecting since the new uh, regime has taken over their GT uh, programme. Racing Point, uh, what do we expect from them this year, Nick? Well, they're obviously everyone's favourite to be best of the rest with their... um it was called Tracing Point, wasn't it? Because the car was so similar to... That was well booked that said that. I did like that. Um, yeah, I mean, every, everything points to making a strong start. They've got a great driver in Sergio Perez. And they've got a driver who could be great if he could get his act together, certainly on Saturday, in uh, Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll's a great racing driver. Great racing driver. He just can't qualify, which is quite important in F1. If you're going to copy a car, Joe Bradley, you copy, uh, you copy the car at the front of the field. And, and it's been ever thus. Nobody's suggesting, and in fact it's been massively denied by both parties, that there was anything handed over from Mercedes to, to Racing Point. But it doesn't, it's not 
it's not difficult to take pictures. It's not difficult to look at video and then hand that over to your clever people and say, build me something like that. Well, you would like to think so, but the, the aerodynamics on these cars are so intricate and one little piece of winglet affects something way down the chassis. It's far, far Well, but that's why complex. they made the change, of course, because they had the whole of the rear end in the gearbox and the suspension from Mercedes. So it didn't make yeah. any sense at all for them to have a different-looking front end Absolutely. to the back. Absolutely. And let's not. We we for, I think we've forgotten. We've lost. We've lost track of Barcelona testing, which is the last time these cars were seen in competitive guys. And Racing Point were right on point, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were very much the. Uh, uh, they say the fourth best. Well, some said they were the third best team because Ferrari having a rotten time. But they, yeah, and also they were running low engine modes. They had some installation issues. But nothing like four months to sort those out. Well, <laughs> uh, but how much store can we put on? those testing times now because they are so far away and because the season has taken on a, a completely different structure. Well, the question is, John, how much can you put on it at any point? Well, that's a fair um, point, yes. I think that the, the, within the midfield, which is as congested as ever, um, certainly within the top teams um, of the midfield, it's difficult to say, but you would say that the team most likely to hit the ground running is the team running a car that is already well developed for a year. Um, so you would you know, think the racing point should be at the front of that field. Uh, let's move on to Scuderia Toro Rosso Honda. Uh, no, hang on. Have a, have oh, I miss- Alfa Tori. Alfa Tori. Well, yes, that's <laughs> what they were called last year. Now, Alfa Tori, as in Alfa Centauri. As in the single pair of trousers shop, isn't it? That's all it is. There's one shop selling trousers in one country. That's all it is, Alfa Tori. Yeah, Alfa uh, Tori, as they will be called this year. I'm sure people will get that wrong. Other than the name change, what's different? There you are. <laughs> Just the name change. <laughs> ah, same driver line up, Daniel uh, Kvyat and Pierre Gasly. Gasly, I was like, I was, uh, you know what? I was really happy to see Gasly finally find some form because uh, he had a torrid time, didn't he? Um, I just hope that his head's right. It's clear that he's a little bit weak psychologically, isn't he? He's easily sort of uh, outsiked, and hopefully he's got a little bit of that strength back, and we're going to see just what he can do. I, I, yeah, I kind of like I, to I, say I, that. I completely agree with you, Joe. I think he was—he just got himself. He got lost mm. at Red Bull. It's not, you know, it is a matter of fact. Now we got now we get the end, the end of the season, or six months after the season. The, the true story of the previous season comes out. And we understand the early iterations. The Red Bull was a very difficult car. It was very much designed and worked within Max's abilities. It was a hard car to get used to. And it was interesting. A mid-season change to the car, which improved it, also corresponded with Alex Albon taking over. And suddenly, he looks doubly good. And we're really honest about this. Alex Albon actually wasn't as good in qualifying overall as Pierre Gasly. Wasn't actually much better in the races. But the one thing he was much much better at was overtaking people once he got into the race. And that is all about confidence. Yeah. That's all about That's all about knowing if this goes wrong, ah, it's fine. Yeah, and I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to lose my drive overnight. Uh, and and you know, and Kvyat knows that the other side of that story uh, as well. Of course, uh, you're listening to a Radio Show Limited special. We look at the FIA Formula One season for 2020. Much different from when uh, Nick, Tim, and Sam Collins were talking about it earlier in the year. Joe Bradley and Nick with me, John Hindorf here, and we're up to fifth position in last year's championship, and the team that really has had so many question marks around it in the last few months, and that's Renault. Yeah, they've had, they've had a vote of confidence from their managing director and their board. And Is that the same as what happens in football? Well, if you're a football manager and you get a vote of confidence from the board, you've got two more games and then you're out. Well, well the opposite of vote of confidence is what they received from their star driver, Danny Ricciardo, who's left. Mm. Um, 
in what is going to be now the most awkward season ever. It's the entire season when they know he's leaving. And I suppose this is probably leads into the, one of the other major stories of the off-season, which is the sudden firing of the driver merry-go-round about six weeks ago, which, which started with the breakdown or perhaps the never-even start-up of the relationship between Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari. There's rumours he didn't like the contract he was offered, and then Ferrari said, we never offered you a contract. So the end result was that he was out of um, Ferrari, and almost and we'll never know we'll never know the absolute on that because I've had yeah you far better connected in the Formula One paddock than I am Nick but everybody I've talked to who I know in the Formula One paddock who has had dealings with it gives me a slightly different story there and and there's no contract till it's signed anyway and everything's a starting point and you start talking and then you know are we basing it on last year's are we bit, bit, are we moving it on are we going to start with a clean sheet of paper do you think we'll ever find out no but I think we I think we can surmise and I think the the real problem was much as the problem for Fernando Alonso at McLaren in 2007 was when the rookie turns up and is really really good yeah do you still need the old boy especially when the old boy won't play ball um obviously Alonso ridiculously politically and Fettel within team orders and, and ignoring things and hitting the other child do you need that liability in the team which you're paying four times more than the other guy, when you can reckon, what are you bringing me? And I think really Fettel outlived his usefulness for Ferrari. Um, and he didn't want to accept the, the stringent rules of being number two. Uh, let's get back to Renault, which is where we, we started this. Well, um, I, hadn't fit, I, just did, I just did the drive merry-go-round, John, in one yes. go, because, of course, Fettel yeah. going meant that Carlos Sainz joins from... Uh, McLaren, and therefore Danny Ricciardo has gone to McLaren for next year to replace. This is all for twenty twenty one. We should yes. say so. All of these guys, uh, it, with their current teams, Joe, are dead men walking, and that's a difficult yeah. situation to be in. There's going to be quite a few awkward garages, are there? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, all right. So let let's focus on the now, and let's focus on what's going to happen potentially at the weekend. Um, I'm excited to see just how well Esteban Ocon does because he's a driver uh, that I really rate and I think Mercedes also really rate and maybe he's being lined up to replace uh, somebody at Mercedes, you know, maybe for whether it be next year or the new regulations remains to be seen. But it's going to be nice to be able to gauge those two drivers together, Ricardo and uh, Ocon. The, the, the whole situation with the merry-go-round, and we will get back to Renault in a minute, I promise. Um, uh, is that going to affect, in pure performance terms, people who are leaving a team? Teams are not going to want to give trade secrets away. They're not. I mean, the good news is there's no new car to test for next year, so that's taken out of it. But it means they are using the same car for next year, Nick. Well, if you leave on acrimonious terms, as it appears that Danny Ricky is doing, it's not going to be as good a situation as Carlos Sainz, who's leaving on very positive terms. Mm. Um, yes, there is going to be obviously a point where towards the back end of the season, even McLaren are going to begin to start thinking about, let's talk about Lando and let's perhaps have Carlos slightly out of that. But realistically, how much information can Carlos Sainz take from McLaren to Ferrari? Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Danny Rick, let's not forget... Um, his contract negotiations at the end of his time with Christian Horner and, and Red Bull, they were all a bit sort of testy and a bit difficult as well. So smiling, happiest guy in the paddock, it would seem, until it comes to contract renewal time. You, 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 you've got two drivers in your garage. You're going to put your 100% behind both drivers. 
but there's going to be just that little bit extra for the guy that's going to be gonna with steer. you next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. And if and if there is a development part, where's it going to go? Is it going to go on the guy that's going to be with you next year, or the guy that's going to be leaving you acrimoniously, as uh, Nick said? Renault then. I th- I think they drivers. Well, as Joe said, Esteban Ocon has a lot to prove, and mostly he's trying to prove against someone he's not driving with and will be in a significantly more inferior car in, in George Russell because they are the heirs apparent to the first person in Mercedes to decide they aren't either blink and there's a possibility that Valtteri might decide to go somewhere else if he gets a decent offer or be fired. I mean, possibly Valtteri might be fired. <laughs> yeah, always is, of course. Uh, let's move to fourth in last year's championship, McLaren-Renault, as they were. Uh, they will... Change their engine supplier next year. Next year, and they and and they and that one um, item of of news actually affected the entirety of the setting up next year, and that's why the FI had to build this whole token system in to allow some changes for all the teams next year because McLaren had to use all their tokens to put a new engine in their car. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the law of unintended consequences. But yes, that, that that engine change to Mercedes, which frees up Renault to pull out, of course, um, is you know is quite important because McLaren themselves have had been in the news in a way they don't want to be over the last few weeks as well. Well, much in the same way that Williams uh, have had their issues. McLaren, as a group, have had their issues as well with a uh, hundred odd million pound uh, deficit in the uh, first few months of the year. That's not going to be big headline news uh, in the financial pages uh, in the next few months. Uh, however, that was before the current uh, COVID virus issues. They've uh, raised some money uh, with a share issue and going back they to... they borrowed some money from the Bahraini bank because Bahrain owns a lot of the company. They borrowed $130 million. The interesting thing is with the difference between the financial problems with Williams and McLaren is that with Williams, the racing team was dragging down the other companies and with McLaren, the other companies were dragging down the racing team. The racing team still made £65 million Pound loss. I would be very, very careful about losses made by racing teams. Evo always and says defined loss and tax dodging and all that sort of thing. Uh, you mean um, minimising your tax liabilities? liabilities. Yes, absolutely, no, yes. Dodging, no dodging at all. No, not none, none whatsoever. <laughs> um, it has proved, and we've said this many times before. People said when Zach Brown arrived at McLaren Jewel, that McLaren's, all McLaren's wars were over because he was the man who was the deal maker. He had the golden Rolodex. There would be sponsors tripping over themselves. He knew the right people to talk to. And of course, there's no such thing as a golden Rolodex. And the days of, of doing a deal on a handshake, it's all return on investment now. And McLaren just weren't performing. Now, I think Zach's probably best thing that he's done there is to change the structure around the team and certainly bringing Andreas Seidel in, Formula, uh, BMW Formula 1 formerly, and of course Porsche uh, in the sports car world, that does seems to have turned the corner in terms of, of what's going on with the team. And ultimately, if the team's not performing, you're not going to get people wanting to sponsor you. I think Zach Brown, is very, as, as, as much as he is a very successful businessman, he's also very astute in what is needed to put a race team together. He understands because deep within Zach Brown, he's a racer. He's a pure racer. And there's something about the atmosphere and the feel and the ambience of McLaren. We know people who work for Zach Brown, mm-hmm. and it's got a very similar ambience, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a matey team. Everybody's pulling together. Even the drivers are good mates, and they're pulling together as a team 
from a competitive sense. And Zach Brown is very, very good at identifying who he needs to fill whatever holes that he needs to fill to make a team gel and and, and to be competitive. He's, he's a, and that is because of his experience in racing. How many times over the last few years, well, no, I'll answer my own question. Okay. Every year for the last few years, when we've come round to season reviews or season previews, I've said McLaren can't have a season as bad as they did last year. Well, actually, last year they were fourth and they didn't have a Stella McLaren season if you go back into history, but certainly the very best season that they've had for a, a number of years. Can they go better this year and challenge the top three? Nick? No. Because... Because they can't, because the top three are the top three. Is it, the, the, they may have been third, but they got a third of the points. Fourth. Of, fourth. A third of the points of Red Bull. They, the top three may change their order, but the top three will be the top three. There is a, you could turn up with an with a, with a established team and all the money in the world and the best two drivers, and it would still take you four or five years to get from the back to the front. It just takes that long. It's, there is a lag to the, to the, to the momentum. So that the slump that McLaren were in... A bit like the economic slump that we have at the moment. It's it's not going. To, we're not going to climb straight out of that. It's not going to be V-shaped. It's going to be much more gently back up the upslope of of prosperity and success. Yeah, because the thing you remember is the top three aren't standing still. No, they're not sitting around going, "Ooh, I wonder when McLaren are going to beat us. It'd be marvellous." You know, they're 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 pushing on. Yeah, they're, they're, that is the whole point of the cost cap. The point of the cost cap. Thirty six minutes and three seconds before in one of Nick's strange voices, by the way, for those of you who uh, were were taking bets on the po- that. The point of the cost cap is to try and accelerate the movement of teams between positions because you take away that financial impediment to advancing up the mountain. You know, everyone's got the, everyone can afford the same Sherpas. Yeah. Okay. Um, Red Bull Racing Honda uh, finished uh, third last year. The Milton Keynes-based team, uh, Christian Horner, quite vociferous, Joe, in, uh, you know, he says that in, in some ways he said that, that, that they're not, they feel as though they're being disadvantaged by some of the new regulations, even the cost cap and not changing the engines in particular, he feels is not going to help them out. Um, they're a big spending team, often often characterises the little team who could, but actually they're very well resourced. Very well resourced. And didn't Honda deliver last year um, to the surprise of everyone other than Honda and perhaps Christian Horner and everyone at Red Bull because we expect Honda to do exactly what they did. They, they came in, they struggled a bit, they learnt the craft, they knew where to develop and the developments came. I think, and it goes back to something that Nick said very, very early in this uh, preview, um, if Ferrari are lagging behind with regards to bringing in developments, then this is where we could see Red Bull, who never seem to steer uh, and, and, and stagnate and plateau. They're always pushing. And maybe we might be able to see Red Bull challenge and beat Ferrari on a regular basis. I'm not sure they're going to beat anyone else, though. If we're moving into an area, Nick, where we've got fairly static regulations for this season and next season, this shortened season and next season, um, in terms of engines and engine development in particular, and then a cost-capped formula going forward. Um, And I don't really want to get into how difficult that is to police in terms of how you're spending your money. But are we moving away from the engine-led formula that we've had in the last few years and going back to an aero type of formula and therefore if Red Bull can get Adrian Newey interested again they can go back to 
dominating? No. Uh, yes and no. Um, the engine formula has been slowly ebbing away from obviously when 2014 when Mercedes hit the ground running and the other two engine manufacturers were completely confused by 15 or 16 Ferrari catching up. They had perhaps fuel consumption issues. Then by 17, 18, despite um, constant moaning where other people, Renault were catching up and, and you know, possibly you know, power-wise, they weren't that far off, had some drivability and some reliability issues. Then even last year, Honda began to catch up. I'm pretty certain if you put all four engines on the, on the dyno, now Ferrari aren't cheating anymore and Ferrari were cheating. Let's just, I'm happy to say that. Sue me. Sue me. Anyhow, Matteo, you were cheating last year. Um, they, now everyone's not cheating, or, or they are being much better policed. Remind us how they were cheating. Uh, they were gaming the fuel flow. They were, they were very cleverly pulsing the fuel in between the... Um, Which the, they got caught out, didn't they? Yes, and they have, um, I'm sure, made a sizable donation to, to someone's re-election campaign. Um, <laughs> actually, that, that's not fair, because he's not being re-elected. He's not standing again, so I shall take that one back. Um, but, um, you know... It, 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 so it's Nobel Peace Prize. Well, possibly, yes, indeed. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think, if you stuck them on a, uh, a dyno, there'd be ten horsepower between all four engines now. Uh, Verstappen, for this year... Verstappen is it's going to be yes obviously this is his best chance um, he has the other um, potential if we if we assume characteristics of cars carry over on the whole they do um, the first three races are all what would be called Red Bull tracks uh, double Austria and Hungary so there's a very good chance he'll get off to an absolutely sprinting start which is a great even for someone as um, cocksure I can say cocksure can't yeah, I yeah, yeah. even as cocksure as I wasn't sure as uh, Max you know it's great to get that, that flip of going in with you know, perhaps at the end of uh, when we come to Silvers and lead in the championship I'm not saying it's going to win all three races but there's a very good chance he'll be in the lead um, you know and that's, and that's a good boost and, and as Joe said Red Bull are pushing 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 and developing developing, developing. Uh, and uh, Nick makes a good point there as well this shortened season We've often seen seasons in the past, Joe, where, and, and Hamilton very much so, is the man who comes back so strongly after the summer break. Well, you know, we've had the summer break and then some, and now we've got a season to get done. If you don't hit the ground running, whoever you are, um, there's not the time to make it up later on in the season. Yeah, prime example of that was 2009, wasn't it? With with Braun getting the head start on the double diffuser. And if it was an eight-round championship back in 2009, then they would have won every single Grand Prix mm. uh, before people had a chance to catch up. Yeah, I mean... We're not wanting to talk about Mercedes quite yet or Lewis Hamilton, but um, he is a prime example of how you come off the starting blocks and being well prepared. However, I'm going to throw a little bit of a cat amongst the pigeons. This is an unprecedented time for the glo- for the whole world, isn't it? And for everybody as an individual. And back in March, the psychology of what we were going through was when you stepped outside, there was a potential you were going to die. And, <laughs> and it was. It was quite real. It was quite real for everyone. And it's... That we're going to see a lot of character in how these sportsmen have come through this unprecedented period of lockdown, being with their fans. Such an unprecedented break, isn't it, for everyone? I'm interested in the psychology of who's going to come out, out, out of the starting blocks uh, in top form. I'm pretty sure Lewis Hamilton will because he's the utmost professional. Isn't well, it? and the, uh, the other thing is, you know, will you be rusty? And, you know, there's been no testing. There's going to be a limited amount of testing uh, before you get into to racing. Ferrari, we know, have had cars out. But these guys are at the top of their, their game. Um, I, 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 I actually am quite excited uh, about it. I, I think Verstappen... Um, there's no more excuses for Verstappen 
now. People keep thinking of him as the kid and the new boy, but he's done over 100 Grand Prix now. Yeah, I mean, he just happens to be young. Doesn't mean he's inexperienced. There's two completely different things. Um, no, he's got no. He has no excuse. Red Bull have no excuse. They're talking themselves up. Um, you know, they are fighting against a behemoth, though. Yeah, Ferrari, Joe. Um, you know, the Formula One team, and we've heard what Nick said about them saying we're going to roll out the car exactly as we would have. Um, in the first race of the year, we've done nothing. We've parked it. We've put a sheet over it. Um, might have just given it a little bit of a polish. We might even put some new tyres on it. But other than that, oh, did we drain the fuel? Did it, hey, did, Mario, did you drain the fuel? You did drain the fuel. Good. Excellent. Um, I'm not sure I believe that. But Ferrari, Ferrari have got so much pressure on them all the time. And, you know, there are Italian sports newspapers who have to turn out two or three pages about Ferrari every single time they're published. Everybody is, you know, Italy in particular have had it very bad. The Italians love their sport. The pressure on Ferrari to come back and perform immediately Mm. at the highest level must be massive. I'm I'm reading John Bernard's book and um, if you want to know how, what it's like to be Ferrari in Italy and want to know what it's like to work for that uh, behemoth as Nick says then read his book because it's a really great insight in how Ferrari is perceived in Italy let's not forget that Northern Italy was the hardest hit in this pandemic and the factories were closed for quite some time again we we forget the human side of this sport and we're talking about a group of mechanics and engineers that are putting those cars together that went through that back in March um, I, I really find it hard to believe that Ferrari would have stood still. And I think all the teams, if anything, they're going to have a huge amount of spare wishbones and front <laughs> wings, aren't they? You need a lot of front wings. Uh, and nostril, yeah, that's for sure. And, and I, would well. li- I would like to think that Ferrari haven't really stood as still as perhaps Nick's insinuating. Well, well, no, that's, no, what that's, they, what, that's what they're saying, and I don't think we believe it. massive limitation of expectations. They, they know they didn't have a good test. They, then we have the story they knew what, why it was they were going to fix it in the story now they didn't know why it was they weren't going to fix it and now they said they are going to do this this is actually oddly most time people make announcements about that it's about trying to psych out the opposition this is nothing to do with the, this is trying to psych out the papers yeah this is they're, ma- managing expectations they're not, but they're not in any way trying to say Toto Wolf, we're not doing this or Hitchin Horner this is good a sport this is you know Corriere de Sella that, that's all they're interested in at the moment yeah. Uh, Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel. We've talked about the dynamic there with with Vettel uh, deciding that you know whichever way it happened that, that he he won't be there next year. If he'd had a crystal ball and known we were going to be laid off so long, he he probably wouldn't have started this season, would he? I I I, I honestly thought that he was done at the end of last year. I don't know. I I think the problem one of the problems that Vettel's had at Ferrari is the weight of expectation and the desire to emulate Michael Schumacher and, and drive the team and design the team and run it in his image, which the team pushed back against and, and he wasn't able to, to, to do it. He's now got a season where, you know, it doesn't matter. I haven't got to obey any, I haven't got to obey any orders. I'm, going to, I'm just going to do it my way. And more importantly, this isn't my problem anymore. I haven't got to divert this car. And that, psychologically, could very much work in his favour. We're going to either see an absolutely outstanding Vettel or an absolutely pathetic, uninterested Vettel. And again, I'm with you on that one. I really did expect him to announce his retirement. His life's changed. He's a father now. He's a parent. And that gives you a different perspective on life. He's done it. He's got the T-shirt many times. He doesn't have to prove himself anymore. And then to have Charles Leclerc come in and, and be and be judged by this new upstart. It's happened so many times in the sport, hasn't it? It reminds me of the louder 
era when Lauda came in and Regazzoni was already there and he was the he was the god of Ferrari in 74 and it was Regazzoni who said we need this Lauda kid it reminds me of that and Lauda being outstandingly much quicker uh, it's the same it's the same dynamic really as we see throughout the ages meanwhile at Mercedes-Benz AMG uh, last year's champions by a country mile so far ahead that you would have needed the space uh, Hubble Space Telescope from Ferrari uh, to see them with their points tally. Let's just remind ourselves it was 739 points to 504. Lewis winning uh, another championship as well. And now I normally say at this time of the year uh, it's Mercedes and Lewis and I, I, I won't change my mind on that this year. I, I think they may have their work a little more cut out for many of the reasons that Nick says, but I still think they're the best team and they are still the best squad, it is the, the one thing for me that is the slight issue is the second driver. And when you're looking to win world championships, particularly shortened world championships, we, we've got to have the second driver at Mercedes in the points on the podium every, well, every race. Yeah, but the, you look at the other second drivers. Alex Albon is completely untested. Um, okay. He may be good, he may not be good. And the other two drivers, the second driver, whoever it may be in Ferrari, is in a state of permanent war with the other driver because they ain't getting on and they've got things to prove. Against. They are only interested in each other this season. So, yeah, and also Valtteri Bottas put in a very good performance last year. He kind of came back from a pretty awful uh, 2018. Um, yeah, I mean, they hit the ground running. Mercedes looked very good. They had a few reliability issues, which I'm sure they were sorted out in the engine over four months. That's one of, That's That's going to work for them. Uh, they can run. Had a problem at altitude um, and, and in hot weather, didn't they? They had cooling issues in Austria, which, given the fact they've known for two and a half months the first two races in Austria, you can bet your bottom dollar that's been sorted out. Um, so, and also Hungary is very warm as well, often can be. So they've got three hot races, so there'll be a. Well, set. we're racing at a time of the year we wouldn't normally be racing at as well. Um, Hungary, yeah, Austria, yeah, Austria is late than it would be, and Hungary is about when it would normally be. Because uh, we're, we're in the summer break right now, aren't we? I know. Not August, quite. August is summer break. Right, okay. Um, so, no, they're, they're about. They're, they're Hungary, I think, might even be on the weekend. It's supposed to be a weekend or one weekend early. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the three hot races, so that was the issue. It was heat, it wasn't anything else. So they'll, they'll have worked out the heat rejection. But there are elements of the, the design of the circuit which favour other teams as well. Uh, can you say anybody other than Lewis Hamilton winning the, winning the championship? I really can't. I'm, I'm sorry to say, and it's kind of yawn, you know. Um, it would be nice. And, and I'm not really looking forward to even next season because we've got the same cars. All right, we might have a few driver shakeups, but there's nobody out there who can beat Lewis Hamilton in the current form, is there? There's no one for for whatever for various not on a regular reasons. basis. Not on a reg- not on a not on the basis enough to beat him. He's going to need to mess up, isn't he? The team's going to have to have a mechanical issue, or he's going to have to make a huge mistake while he's lapping a backmarker or something. Which he's got out of the habit of doing, Nick. And one of the issues with Vettel last year was that he seemed to have found the inconsistencies in his driving that we weren't expecting from somebody of his of his character yeah. and experience. Yeah, but Vettel isn't the main rival this year. The main rival's Max Verstappen. And Verstappen... Really? Yeah, absolutely. It's Verstappen v Hamilton. Vettel and, Vettel and the Kirby, the car's not good enough and they'll be too bothered about each other. I'm not saying they won't have the occasional good result, not saying perhaps a low downforce, they won't see a win. They are the first, the, the top three this season in the championship will be um, uh, Hamilton, Bottas and Verstappen and you perm which order you want to put them in. But the fact is that the only thing that this shortened season does make happen, if you get a couple of weird reliability issues, it becomes massive. You really can't afford a non-score. Yeah, I mean, you, you, certainly a second non-score would be 
you know, really, really, really terminal. Uh, what about the best of the young crop? Who's who's coming through? Joe, what do you reckon? Well, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Lando Norris. Uh, I think he's uh, going to show Collar Sainz his rear wing a few times. Really? And you can only... yeah. I, I really like Sainz, yeah, actually. Yeah, I do like Sainz. I'm not... Uh, I I'm think not, he's underrated. I'm not, not a fan. I do like Sainz. Um, Ocon, for me, is the one I'm most excited about. I'm intrigued. I'm more intrigued with Latifi. Um, he's proved himself in Formula 2, but then again, so did Gasly. So perhaps if I, if I was to put you know uh, money on who's going to be the best sort of uh, of the new breed... Um, I'm I'm going to have to put my, my my money on Lando, but I'd like to see. I'm intrigued as to how Ocon will go. Nick, um, hopefully uh, the Williams isn't off the back of the field. Hopefully the Williams is at the back of the field, so that uh, George not the two Russell, seconds it was. So that George Russell can actually show what he can do on a good day. We um, don't know about George yet, do we? Really, yes, because we he's do. he's no, never. No, no, we do know about him. He's very, very, very good. But the point about it is, he has. He, it's it's a very different thing beating um, a. Well, genuinely handicapped um, Robert Kubica, then you know, and and, and Nicholas Latifi is a you know, let's be honest, Latifi's there because of cash. I mean, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not. What I mean about what I mean about George, what I mean about George Russell is, we've only been able to um, to assess his performance against somebody else in that car because that car has been so far off the pace of everybody else, two seconds off the pace. If it was closer to the field, then you would see maybe some strategy. Then you might see him getting up to twelfth. 14th, whatever, and we might see him making a difference in the car. Whereas at the moment, just getting the car to be within two seconds is he's doing well. Yeah, I mean that is the problem. You, you can't. He's got to be demotivated, doesn't he? Yeah, he's. Well, I think not in your not in your first year of F1. It's all fun, then, isn't it? Your first year of F1, and he was and he was quite. He, he excelled in qualifying a few times, and he beat uh, Robert virtually every single race. I'm sure he'll beat uh, Nicholas every every race this time as well. But then it's it's whether he gets to have a battle because the important thing for him though is he needs to prove to Toto Wolff he's the real thing. Yeah, that is a good point for his future, for moving on in his future because he doesn't want to go Williams. Two years somewhere else before he has a chance to go to to McLaren. Uh, McLaren. Mercedes. Well, actually, it could be McLaren. Uh, Mercedes. He wants to go from Williams to Mercedes. Can I? Ju- that, that's the biggest thing for 2021 for me. So I can say McLaren Mercedes again because I've never really stopped seeing it in my head. Uh, to be to be quite honest. Uh, right. We'll finish off. Uh, you've, you've, you've both given you your ideas about the the championship. Let's finish off uh, eight races. We've got how many races will we have this year? Right. We've got eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get Mugello, Sochi, Portimao, and Portimao for one or two, one right, and either three or four in the Middle East. So, so that is surprisingly fifteen. And how many do they need for the TV contract? Fifteen. Okay. Um, we are not going to America to the Americas. No. We won't go to Texas. We won't go to Mexico. We won't go to Brazil because they are all way further back in their so virus situation. In, in the in the Middle East, then that would be Abu Dhabi. Double, for a double header? Double bar, oh, sorry, double bar rain is definite. That's definitely happening. Right. Um, haven't got dates yet. And they can do double Abu Dhabi. I mean, it's possible. I mean, That'd be a big party there. We could have a real nice Abu Dhabi do. Twice. It's a shame they couldn't go to Dubai, isn't it? Well, they could, oh, but they could. I'd like to see them go to La Salle. That won't happen because Qatar's rouse with... Um, everybody? Yeah, well, well, everybody's having a row with them. But let's true. not get into no. that side of things. I, I still just keep thinking... Well, first of all, Portimao, you love. Oh, Portimao. Portimao. You know what, Magello or Portimao? Uh, how could you choose that? Which one? I, uh, you know what? I've been how many years now have I been enthusing about Portimao? 
uh, for me, it's the best well, track and, in the whole world. And this is the perfect storm for them. They can't have they can't have spectators there because the grandstands have got trees growing in them. So having it behind closed doors is absolutely sorry, but that's a, that's a feature. <laughs> it's, it's a green so, feature. So you don't think Imola? No, Imola's got some issues, haven't they? Local council's not very chuffed about it. They um, did renew their F1 licence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's possible, but... They, they, they've, Have you they've, heard about the noise issues from yeah. the locals off some yeah. recent Formula Renault testing? Or yeah, something? so there's... there's it's because it's been quiet for so long. Have you been to Emily, John? Yes, of course. Yeah, you know how it, it, it's actually... Dry, it, it's embedded within the town. Yeah, yeah. It goes through the town. It's not like people in the UK, especially, we're, we're used to going to a gate of a track and and the track within the confines of its own grounds. In Emily, it's not. It kind of winds through national... Uh, local parks and stuff right well uh, final questions because we're running out of time very rapidly on our Formula 1 championship preview for 2020 Uh, biggest surprise for this season what do you think it'll be Nick it could be a plus surprise it could be a good surprise it could be a bad surprise Sebastian Vettel is going to beat Charles Leclerc by quite a margin really yes Okay, that w- uh, that would be a surprise for me because I, I think Vettel's head's gone completely. I, I thought think, I've I said th- that I before. Think this will bring it back. I think his problem was the pressure. Now he has no pressure. Okay, so he's got another free year like the first year he went to Ferrari. It actually wasn't bad that year. Joe, b- biggest surprise, he, good or bad? He's kind of taken it off me because I was thinking the same thing. I think psychologically Vettel's going to be stronger. Um, I will throw my hat in the ring and say Ocon is going to absolutely blitz Danny Rick. Well, that brought a response certainly from uh, Nick Damon. Thank you, gentlemen. Joe Bradley and Nick Damon joining me for this FIA Formula One preview for 2020. For sure, it's going to be a for sure. It's going to be a very different looking and possibly even sounding uh, season. The Hall Circus kicks off this weekend at the Red Bull Ring in Austria, and then it's uh, three weeks in a row before a week off. Mm. I'm not sure, but I tell you what, once again, I'm excited by it. In some ways, only having 15 Grand Prix to me is actually round about the right number, and it makes it in some ways feel just a little bit more special that when I'm watching these races that I know I've got to plan my weeks to actually see them. I could just be getting old. It's going back to my youth. Thanks for joining us for this and we'll be looking at the whole season, of course, as it goes on on Midweek Motorsport on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network of Chats. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.